Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. If you ask the average person, well, what's your greatest concern? It's usually monetary, and, and that's just sad because we're the richest country in the world. And, and it's yet, when the political parties are hammering it out and fighting against each other, one of them saying, uh, we have the economic plan, and the other one saying, no, yours will wreck it, we have the economic plan. I'm wondering, where's the plan to get us back on our moral compass? Today we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, The Power of God. We will be taking up in Luke chapter four and we'll begin in verse 35. We will consider the time Jesus cast the demon out of the man in the synagogue, the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, when Jesus healed many upon the Sabbath sunset, and his preaching in Galilee. So let's get started. Now we'll see again and again Jesus doing this very thing, silencing or muzzling the demons who recognize him and begin to testify as to who he is. And I've spent some time trying to put this one together because, well, they're telling the truth and, and yet he doesn't want to hear it from them. I came up with at least a couple good reasons for that. One is Jesus is on the Father's timetable. If you read through John's gospel again and again and again, he'll say, my hour has not yet come. And there's no doubt if people began to put together early on that he was the Christ, the Son of God. Well, to them, the Messiah was going to be the deliverer, the one who would be freeing them from oppression. And that's a part of his mission statement. But when they thought of oppression, they thought of the Roman government. And in the same way today in America, if you ask the average person, well, what's your greatest concern? It's usually monetary. And, and that's just sad because we're the richest country in the world. And, and it's yet when the political parties are hammering it out and fighting against each other, one of them saying, uh, we have the economic plan. And the other one saying, no, yours will wreck it. We have the economic plan. I'm wondering, where's the plan to get us back on our moral compass? Who's got a desire to make things right? And I just don't see that out there at all. And, and so here Jesus is dealing with the core issues he came to, to suffer and die for our sins, but between his coming and his death for us, well, he went about meeting every person's need. And so here he deals with the demon. He tells him to stop talking. I believe he's on the father's timetable. He's not going to have things pushed ahead by all of this. I think another thing is that Jesus, I'm always making up words. It's, it's a gift and a curse. But uh, Jesus preferred that people touched by him, healed by him, blessed by him, would be the ones giving testimony to him and not the demons who are in rebellion to him. You see, even when a demon told the truth or when a cultist tells the truth or when someone who is deceiving and knows it or is deceived and doesn't know it, even when they tell the truth, the motivation behind that or what follows is often going to be dangerous and deadly. And, and so Jesus is rejecting the testimony of these demons, though the testimony is true. One thing's for sure, the guy he freed from this demon, he would be a life-giving testimony. He would go about saying, hey, I was captive to this demon. I was controlled by this demon, and the Lord set me free. Well, again in verse 36, we see the same response that we saw in the synagogue. That was their response to Jesus' teaching. Here is response, their response, excuse me, to uh, him freeing the demon-possessed man. They were all amazed, we read, and spoke among themselves, saying, what 
a word this is, for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. He had the might, he had the means, and he had the right. And, uh, and so when he spoke, it happened, you see. And the report about him went into every place in the surrounding region. Now, there is something else here that's interesting to me. There's no elaborate ceremony. There's no series of incantations. It's just a simple, straightforward command from someone who has the authority to command it. And the demon had to go. That's how Jesus is going to deal with Satan himself, by the way. He does it with a word. It's not like, and some people have sort of magnified Satan and his power and his authority when they, they consider the spiritual warfare, warfare that goes on. No, listen, Jesus can stop Satan with a word. He sends him to the pit for a thousand years with a word. And he sends him into outer darkness for eternity with a word. But there is one more thing, and then we'll press on in all this. A little bit later in Luke's writings, it doesn't actually happen in the Gospel of Luke, but in the book of Acts 19, Paul is working to provide for himself and for those who were traveling with him. And, and he was a tent maker. So, so we're told that as he was working, people were taking the sweat bands, not the prayer cloths, but the sweat bands and the, the, the um, other garment that he wore. It says handkerchiefs or aprons. And they were taking them from Paul and laying them on the sick and demon-possessed, and the sick were being healed, and the demon-possessed were being free. Now, I got to tell you, that is an extension of some amazing power. We don't want to think for a moment, though, that Paul had the power in and of himself. No, that was imparted and imputed power from God. And, and those people, and, and I kind of see it like this. I could be wrong, but, you know, Paul's working. He takes off his sweatband. He takes off his apron. He goes and he grabs a snack. He comes back, and the stuff's gone. Now, I'm not saying they stole it. But I am saying that, that uh, they were taking it either with or without his permission and they believed that that which had touched Paul, who was touched by God and anointed by God, could free and heal their hurting and wounded and needy relatives. And the crazy, wonderful part is it was working. It wasn't superstition because God would never honor that. We'll see it in a second. But, but what was happening is by faith, they believed like that woman who said, if I could just touch the hem of Jesus garment, I know I'll be healed. Or, or if I could just, well, the guy who says, just say the word. I'm a man under authority and I exercise authority. I know you have authority. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And we'll see again and again in various ways. And I think for the most part, so that we can't pattern or say, here's how he does it. But, but amazing, miraculous things were taking place. Well, in any case, there were these Jewish exorcists and, and they were all about trying to do what Paul was doing. And, and the stories in Acts 19, you don't have to go to it, but you might want to check it out later. And, and um, what happens is, is they see what's taking place and they decide they're going to try it. And, and, and so it says they took upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priest who did so, and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Now, the outcome of this is radical, but, but here's what I want to share. There's a warning in scripture not to take our Lord's name in vain. And when we hear that ordinarily, we think, okay, yeah, cursing, using God's name in a cursing way. Of course, we're not to do that. 
But I think when someone invokes the name of Jesus or adds the words in Jesus' name to an end of a very selfish and self-centered prayer, you know, like, Lord, I want this and I need this and I like this and I want this and I want this. And by the way, in Jesus' name, it's almost like what? It's magic words like abracadabra. We just say in Jesus' name and whatever we say is going to happen. I like to suggest that's not how Jesus works. In Jesus' name means by his authority and in keeping with his purposes. That's why if we ask anything according to his will, we, knows he, we know he hears us. And if he hears us, we know we'll have the answer from him. Well, check this out. It's, it's again, it's in Acts 19. It says, the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them and prevailed against them. So they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And I'm sure that's not the end they were expecting. But the important point is you can't just grab a name and say in the power of that name. No, it's by his authority and, and because it's his will and because he's commanded it and, and he's desired it. That's why even the Apostle Paul at one point, Timothy's sick and instead of praying for him or laying hands on him or sending him one of his, his you know, uh, here, just take my prayer cloth, you know. Instead of any of that, he just says, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Not a prescription, by the way, fellas, that we could just drink because, hey, the Bible says. No, it's, it was a medicinal thing for Timothy. And, and, and the point is, elsewhere, Paul was unable to do for friends. Well, what what... Other people were able to just take things that had touched him and do for their relatives. So the power is God's power. And when it's used for God's glory and according to his plan and purpose, well, we're going to get the desired result. In that passage in Acts, after all this, well, word got around. Hey, do you hear what happened to those, those sons of Sceva? Man, I wouldn't want to try that. And, and then it says, Jews and Greeks, all those dwelling in Ephesus, fear fell on them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. See, their lack of success actually magnified the Lord's name because they realized, hey, those guys certainly should not have invoked the name of the one. They weren't saved by and serving and, and uh, set apart for. Well, many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. They counted the value of them. They totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. And the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So we see Jesus' authority and power in the realm of teaching. We see his authority and power in the realm of the supernatural. And now we come to the natural, and it's a very important example for us today because many of us are afflicted physically or going through things emotionally or troubled mentally. And, and um, so it's important to see that he not only is aware of those issues, but he's concerned with us and our needs. Our greatest need, of course, salvation. We're all trusting him for that. I mean, if you're trusting anyone else or anything else, you're still dead in trespasses and sin without hope and helpless. But if you've trusted in Jesus for the big things, know this, he's concerned for the small things. He says not even a sparrow falls to the ground, that, that, that he doesn't take notice. And so he arose and leaves the synagogue, verse 38, enter Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever and they made request of him concerning her. Before we read what he did, read those words again. Simon's wife's mother. 
I pondered that and puzzled over it. I came from a background well, I, where I was taught that Peter was the first pope. And if that's true, and I don't know that it is, apparently the first pope was married. Because you don't get a mother-in-law until you get married, you see. And it's a package deal. And uh, so, so here we find Simon. His, his wife's mom is sick with the high fever. The, the Greek would suggest this had been going on for a bit. They made request of him concerning her. He stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And then her response, immediately she arose and served them. Now, one thing you got to see with Jesus, whether he's dealing with teaching or demons supernaturally or, or rather disease, when Jesus did something, he did it all the way. It was a complete and total healing. And, and we see that clearly here. Now, he did something very unusual. He rebuked the fever. Ordinarily, we'll give baby aspirin if it's a child or regular aspirin, you know, get some cold compresses and stuff. But I would suggest at the very least, prayer first in every situation. Why? He says you have not because you ask not. Sometimes we don't receive, James tells us, because we ask amiss that we can consume it on our lust. But what kind of, you know, consumption is it to care for our children or our loved ones or our friends and, and pray for them that the Lord would touch them? We always start there, but, but that doesn't mean we don't treat them medicinally. Why? He's the great physician. He can work without means or through means. He can work apart from people or through people. He can work apart from medicine or through medicine. And so i uh, give you a good example here in a moment of him working through means. But, but I like her response. Immediately, having been touched by him, she arose and served them. This whole idea of Jesus rebuking, it's interesting. Trace it through. If you don't have a concordance, make sure you get one. If you don't know what a concordance is, ask them in the bookstore. But many of your Bibles will have a little concordance in the back. And if you get one that's, well, uh, you know, a comprehensive concordance, it's huge. It's like a giant dictionary. And it'll list everywhere any word in scripture appears everywhere that it appears. So you look up the word rebuke or rebuked and it'll just go from Genesis to Revelation every single place and you'll see it and they give you part of a sentence so you can kind of know where you are and track through it. And uh, it's interesting to, to trace through this gospel as it relates to him rebuking because later he'll rebuke the wind. And I got to tell you, that's one that I'd like to see anybody do today to stand out at the wind and tell it to stop. But he can do it, see, because he has power and authority in all of his creation. He'll rebuke another demon. He'll later rebuke James and John for suggesting, well, if he'd give the word, they'd be happy to call fire down out of heaven and destroy those Samaritans. And uh, that wasn't exactly what the Lord had in mind. He rebuked them saying, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. The Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Well, when the sun was setting, verse 40, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. It's an important picture for us. They wait till the Sabbath is over. Why? Because the law says you weren't to bear a burden on the Sabbath. This will become a major point of contention between Jesus and the religious establishment. Because again, not in the law of God, but in the commentaries of man and the teaching and preaching of the rabbis, well, they had come up with all sorts of ideas about what it meant to bear a burden. And some of the more well, I don't know if we should say they're humorous. They were like, well, if you have false teeth, putting in your false teeth, that's bearing a burden on the Sabbath. Now, I would think otherwise. I'd think if you have false teeth and you don't put them in, that's going to bear a burden. It'd be a lot harder to gum your food, you see. 
But they, they decided if you had a wooden leg, you couldn't put on your wooden leg because that would be bearing a burden. You see, you're carrying that wooden leg. No, the leg carries you, supports you. If you're going to hop around all day on one leg, that's going to be a burden. And so they actually, and this helps you understand when Jesus says, man, you heap all these things on men, but you would not carry even one of them. It's exactly what they were doing. They were adding to his word. And he warns in Deuteronomy not to do it. He warns in Revelation not to do it. And in adding to, they were taking away because God was just simple and clear. I want you to have a day of rest. I want you to have a day with me. I want you to have a day without work. With, I want you to have a day with your family. And, and so they, they made so many rules that they made the day a burden. Well, these guys are obeying not just God's prohibition to carry a burden on the Sabbath, but men's understanding of what that might have meant or what he might have been getting at. And so they brought people to him. Now, they led those who were able to come, but wouldn't. They carried those who were unable to come because they couldn't. And, and it, it's an important difference. There are some people who just won't come. But they could. And, and what's our responsibility? Try to lead them. Try to bring them, not to church, to Jesus. Well, I'm not saying don't bring them to church because they'll hear the word. It'll be taught clearly. But, but the point is, our goal isn't to get people in church. Our, our goal is to get people to Jesus because he's the one that changes them. He's the one that touches them. He's the one that frees them. He's the one with the plan for them. Well, so they brought those, and that, that word bringing, by the way, is the word for bearing a burden. And so they had to carry some of these people, those who couldn't come on their own. The first group, by the way, it reminded me of that season in the wilderness wandering where the serpents were biting people because of their sin and their murmuring and, and, and God sent fiery serpents and they come to Moses, hey, pray, we need help. And Moses goes to God and God says, make a bronze serpent and, and hold it up and whoever looks at the bronze serpent will live. So the, the, the penalty for their sin is death. The wages of sin is death, still true today. They were being bitten by these serpents and, and the the prescription is look at this bronze serpent now Jesus grabs hold of this image from the Old Testament and in John 3 he says as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life and, and here's why that's an important illustration for us some people just say, well, I'm just, I don't believe and I won't come. But you're dying and, and you're, you're going to go into a Christless eternity. Well, I just don't believe. In the case of the bronze serpent, it'd be like, hey, I'm not born yesterday. You think looking at a bronze serpent going to save my life? Well, it's saving others' lives. They've obeyed. This is the prescription from the great physician. Why did it work? It's what he told them to do. And again and again and again throughout scripture, God will tell them to do things that in the natural makes no sense. But in the supernatural, well, it makes complete sense because it's coming from him. Well, they bring these people to Jesus and take note, Jesus can heal with a word. He did it for Peter's mother-in-law. He just rebuked the, the fever and it left. He can heal from a distance. He'll do that when the centurion comes in and he says, I'll come to your place. He goes, no, I'm not worthy that you would come under my roof, but I'm a man under authority and I exercise authority. I say to this one, come and go. And he does. And, and he says, just say the word and it'll happen. And Jesus is like, well, I haven't found such great faith in all of Israel. 
But the point is he can deal with the word. He can, he, he can deal with the rebuke. He can deal at a distance. But here he chose to lay hands on every one they brought to him. And there's just something wonderful about that image of his touch, the touch of the Savior, touching people who were physically or mentally or emotionally or spiritually oppressed. And here's the picture. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Now, our community is filled with hurting, needy people. And all God asks of us is that we bring them to him. We don't have the power to change them. We don't have the power to heal them. We don't have the power to, hey, let's face it, we're barely doing this thing ourselves. I mean, if he weren't hanging on to us, we'd be in trouble. And I'm grateful for his statement that, hey, you're in my hands and you're in the Father's hands. He's got a grip on us and, and it's not, okay, we're holding on with all we got. No, he's holding on and he won't let go. That's his promise. But, but the reality is he is the solution, whatever the issue and whatever the problem. Verse 41 says, and demons came out of many crying out and saying, you are the Christ, the son of God. And he rebuking them did not allow him to speak for they knew he was the Christ. Get this. This is about three years before Peter will ever come to the realization that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And when that happens, Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. This is a divine revelation, our Lord says. These guys didn't need a revelation of who Jesus was. They knew who he was and they testified to who he was, but he rebuked them and muzzled them again for they knew he was the Christ I guess it's important to mention them knowing who he was, them testifying to who he was, did not save or redeem them. Why? There's no repentance in the, the fallen angels. There's no hope of repentance, but, but there is hope of repentance for us. And it's not enough to know who he is or even declare it. If he's the savior, we need to say, save me. If he's Lord, we need to to give him lordship, control over our lives. It's not enough to know he's the Lord. We need to, to give him, surrender to him our lives. Well, when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. The crowd sought him and came to him, tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I've been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. We're going to see this as we continue on. Jesus always ministered locally. He always met the needs that were before him, but he had the multitudes in mind and he knew he could leave this area because he had touched so many and healed so many and freed so many and they were all witnesses now of his life transforming power. That's exactly what he intends for us. One last thing and we will pray and then take the bread and take the cup and share in communion. Whenever Jesus went into the synagogue, all eyes would be fixed on him. And if there were hurting or needy or infirm or possessed people there, they knew his eyes would be on those particular individuals. So you need to know today that if you're hurting, if you're needy, if, if well, the Lord's eyes are on you, that, that his attention is fixed on you, that he's here and wanting to minister to you. In our message today, Pastor Sam talked about Jesus' mission to free us from oppression. And many that heard Jesus thought only of the oppression they faced from the world around them, the Romans, for example. 
But as Pastor Sam pointed out, it was the oppression from sin that Jesus came to save us from. In John 8:36, Jesus tells us, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now think about this for a moment. Whatever it is in this life that is oppressing you, that oppression, however difficult it may be, is never permanent. And in this world, it's very likely that it will be replaced by some new oppression. However, when we are freed from the oppression of sin, it leads to eternal life. Eternal, that means forever. The victory that Jesus gives us is a permanent thing, a forever thing, an eternal thing. And that is why we can say that we shall be free indeed. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.